Welcome to the 20th episode of the Skills Factory, talks and ideas about skills from Europe and beyond. This is the podcast series of the European Training Foundation, the European Union agency working on human capital development in the EU neighboring countries. The COVID-19 pandemic showed how education can change literally from one day to another, when educators globally had to search for innovative ways to improve student learning outcomes outside the physical classroom. Now the question is, how do we take advantage of lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic to shape better education for the future? The quick fire round questions, please reply with one or two words to it. Future of education, online, face-to-face, hybrid, Hybrid with gradations. Anything meaningful. You're not picking out of the options. <laughs> it's impossible to pick, I think. In some cases, it must be face-to-face. In some cases, online can add, but I think it, it really depends. What would you select? Online degree in Cambridge or presence degree in unknown university? Online degree. In Cambridge. Fabio? Both in a lifelong learning fashion. If a new pandemic would happen tomorrow, do you think our education systems are better prepared now than they were before? Yes, but still work to be done. I'm Maria Lvova, Communication Officer in the European Training Foundation, and I'd like to introduce our guests. Merab Labadze, Expert and Director of Innovative Education Foundation from Georgia. Welcome, Merab. Hello, thank you for inviting. And Fabio Nasimbeni, expert from the European Training Foundation. Hi, Fabio. Hello, hello. So, gentlemen, the pandemic highlighted that online learning provides much more flexibility to the teaching process, but it also put the test to the capacities of so many teachers and educators. Merab, how difficult was it for teachers in Georgia and what were the main challenges that teachers had to overcome? Definitely it was uh, very difficult, especially in the beginning, when even the organization of the synchronous lectures was a problem. So the ministry has responded quite quickly and there was an instrument already available, Microsoft Teams, that was uh, launched in every school and uh, the ministry has the agreement with Microsoft Education Licenses and also using the Teams. The problem was that Teams was never, well, almost never used before that, and teachers needed to very actively use it on a daily basis. Just to give you the scale, there are 600,000 students in general education in Georgia, 10% of them are in private schools, plus there are about 20,000 private uh, uh, students. Amira, but you mentioned that this Microsoft Teams environment that most of us know pretty well, it was completely a new discovery for the teachers, was it? Some of them did use it, but it was not on a massive scale, definitely. So it was kind of thunder of their heads uh, (laughs) when they needed to switch to very quickly. And so it was difficult for teachers to adjust to this emergency remote teaching, as it's called, because no proper learning or almost no proper learning efforts were done before that but um, they relatively quickly adjusted at least for the synchronous mode it was fine and the ministry was also flexible that they allowed also not only microsoft teams but for some it was zoom or google classroom and any other tools that were familiar for them so not everyone knew uh, the, the classroom feature of microsoft teams they learned gradually but initially it was a problem i've observed uh, the avalanche of uh, sending the assignments through facebook messenger Maybe Facebook was happy with that, so getting more data. But uh, otherwise, it was strange. It was more or less flexible, and everyone found their own solution. Question is, actually to both of you, I've heard from a lot of teachers from our neighboring countries that what happened is that they took curriculum and they took the way they were teaching in a classroom and they brought it online. And it maybe was not the most efficient way of organizing online learning. Is that right? 
Yeah, I would agree in like 90% of cases, because still there was a cohort of very good teachers, experienced digital teaching and learning. So for them, it was not that difficult. So they were already experienced in some other methods uh, rather than just taking the handbooks online and trying to follow it. But for many years, it was mainly this modality. Fabio, and it's not the most efficient one, right? You don't do it like that. You organize somehow differently when you do an online teaching. That is actually the big elephant in the room. Everybody says that education systems were able to cope with the emergency, and in fact, they were. But if we look at what happened in reality, digital technologies were used to guarantee continuity at any cost. So it worked because that was the objective. But if you ask me if this has served to instill more innovation in the system, my answer would be for those educators who were already innovative, as actually represented a boost, but for those educators, which is understandably the, the great majority, who are not innovative in terms of digital technology, this has meant uh, moving in emergency online. So actually, we have seen a number of uh, memes and videos of uh, educators teaching exactly like in the classroom uh, with the very same timing, with the very same logic through Zoom or through Teams or whatever. The good thing is that uh, the pandemic has put uh, the issue at the center of the debate. But actually, we are trying to do now at ATF and uh, many other people uh, working on innovative use of digital education is actually to take this further step. So it's not only being able to do what you were doing before online, but it's being able to do new things, of course, increasing quality if possible, increasing inclusiveness and so on, with the help of technology. Now, from the point of view of learners, because we thought that we will give to our kids an iPad or a device, we'll put them in front of it and the learning will happen by default. Do you think that this learning to learn online will become a part of curricula? Or do you think it's natural digital generation that is growing right now? Well, if I can start, in terms of curriculum, again, the, the pandemic has increased the interest on uh, digitally related subjects. If we think of computational thinking, technology applied to STEMs, uh, which I know is a, is a subject very close to Merab's heart, uh, this definitely has, uh, has put these issues uh, at the center and more and more in the curriculum. If you ask me how ready students and learners, uh, and also learners on the job, eh, it's not only students in a classroom, are ready for a fully online system, and especially if we move into online assessment, I think uh, students uh, would not go for a fully online setting. During the emergency, that's what you have to live with. But after the emergency, many problems that have come out because of the forced wave of online teaching actually are, are making the research community think that a certain degree of uh, traditional learning, face-to-face -face learning, is still desirable. Merab, can we say that the digital literacy of teachers has increased substantially in Georgia after these two and a half years? Well, it did. Uh, the problem with the liter well, literacy is okay, but the, the problem with the new tools and practices is that if you don't practice them, even though you've passed some good course like two years, three years ago for teachers, and they just forgot it. They just said that they didn't have uh, chances because of curriculum restrictions or some other uh, settings, the conservative settings. So they just forgot it. Similarly with the digital literacy, if teacher is not practicing it every day, so it takes some time to get back on track and then the, the tools change. 
So they need to learn more tools. So for many years, it was awakening to the new reality that they need to learn it in practice, not in theory or just making some assignments. For others, it was a chance that were already competent to chance to experiment more uh, with uh, more advanced, sophisticated practices. But those were my minority. I think after the pandemic, every teacher on earth is now able to use Zoom, is now able to, and as understood, what is the difference between managing a classroom where you can see people in the eyes with respect to the web? Is this a proper pedagogical use of digital technology? This is just the first step. Now we have a second step where the design of the whole experience should change. And here many more things come into the picture. As Marabo was saying, of course, you need to not only to know what you can do through technology, and this you can learn it in a course, but you need to test it. You need to test it because every teacher is different. Every teacher comes with his own or her own style, teaching style. And then again, it's not only about the teacher, it's about the enabling environment. You can be super motivated. You might want actually to apply tools and methods to really improve the quality and the inclusiveness of your, of your teaching, but your school principal might be mild on this. So might say, yeah, that's fine, but I don't really believe in that, or this is not my priority. And then there is a third level, which actually COVID has somehow also brought to the surface, that is the critical dimension of digital literacy of teacher. Because one thing is being able to use technology, level one. One thing is being able to use them pedagogically, level two. And one thing is being able to use them critically. Because actually, whatever I'm teaching, if I'm teaching math or geography or engineering or computer science, the way I use technology, both as an example for my learners and the way I interact with them, I can teach them and work out with them how not only to use technology, but to use it ethically, responsibly, and in an open and transparent way. Well, I would say level one is now achieved in my understanding. Level two depends a lot on the teachers. So you have cohorts of teachers who are quite fluent with that and others are learning. The very good thing, especially in the EU, but also in the, in the neighboring countries. But at what level are we in the most of the EU neighboring countries? Almost all of them have in place initiatives and policies to train teachers and trainers on the pedagogical use of ICT. So policies are there. Why is on the third level, the critical use, uh, this is normally left to the teacher. So this is, uh, you, you don't have a lot of these uh, specific initiatives. So this is a third level, which might come in the future, I hope. But uh, I think even in Europe, we are not there yet. One thing that definitely uh, pandemic has contributed positively to is that teachers started sharing, sharing digital resources, practices, methodology, so this second and third level started to be covered, especially the second one, with methodology and resources. And sometimes with the third one, because when they discussed, they could be critical to those methods that others use. So they, uh, at least some of them started to, much more than before, started to share the resources and share the methodology and um, reflect on that. Fabio, in order to arrive to level one in our EU neighborhood, we needed a global pandemic, COVID-19 coming to our lives. Do you think we need another crisis to jump from one level to another or it's going to happen naturally over the years? Well, I think it is going to happen. It must happen. The thing is not so much a matter of speed. So when it's going to happen, it's how it's going to happen. So the how the system will actually embed these uh, skills of teachers and then of course of learners 
is the real question. So I hope we won't need another pandemic, but what we need is to keep the attention high. And actually what I'm seeing is that uh, the virtually all stakeholders supporting innovation, I can mention apart from the ETF, of course, and the European Commission, but also the ILO, UNESCO, the World Bank, uh, even the Broadband Commission of the United Nations have all focused on this during the pandemic. Now, of course, the focus is now decreasing a bit because uh, things are going back to normal, but I still see attention on the issue. So I think the trick now for the for the ones working on digital innovation of teaching and learning is really to try to keep the momentum of this. Uh, and I mean, try to, as Marabo was saying, for example, push for more sharing practices, because once an educator starts to share and understands that uh, he's not alone in producing and using things, but he can use things by others and he can also inspire others, then he will not stop doing that. Coming back to the assessment, because both of you have mentioned in one moment or another the difficulties of assessment with the online learning. Do we have data about the quality of education delivered in the past two and a half years and the results achieved? Switch to online brought a big breach to the quality of education or it was more or less the same level of education? Mirab. What I can state from speaking to teachers and uh, educators that definitely there is a breach especially with the attention and focus of the learners, their focus and uh, presence during the lecture. I would say that teachers believe that the quality has decreased. I can just mention this uh, very large uh, survey by UNESCO and the World Bank and others, which actually, after the first wave of pandemic, they try to understand exactly this question. So are we coping with uh, the pandemic and uh, continuing delivering education in a sufficiently quality and inclusive way? Or is this getting to worst academic achievements. For sure, the quality, if there is such a thing like uh, overall quality of an educational experience at the macro level, has suffered from this uh, emergency wave. On the other hand, if we think of uh, assessment, so exams uh, and the way students are assessed, uh, this has probably been uh, is the highest resistant uh, component of uh, education ecosystems. Because, of course, when you want to assess your students, normally you want to look at them in the eyes and to see what they're doing. Hundreds of webinars which actually took place during the pandemic to train teachers on this uh, were focusing specifically on this. That was the main issue. How can you assess your students when they are not there? One thing is cheating, but of course, but the other thing is how to make sure that that assessment is uh, correct and, uh, and meaningful. So I think this is something which worked as it had to work. So no students uh, lost years of, uh, of their education. But the most important thing is that this thing has started a discussion on uh, online or hybrid assessment, which actually is showing some results. My point is that if uh, anyone uh, knew in the beginning that there are two years ahead, and yeah, we have the pandemic, then we'll have planned much better for the pandemic because everyone was expecting it to end in three months, six months, and so on. So there is no such a thing that the proper online planning for two years of pandemic, it was like well, everyone was expecting it to end soon and just get back somehow to the normal, at least for majority. But overall, apart from, you know, the pandemic and the emergency that it brought to our lives, do you think that online assessment will ever be at the same level of trust than a physical assessment? Is it possible? Is it an issue of technology or is it an issue of trust and raising the awareness of people? It depends, of course, on the level of trust, how experienced the teacher is, but uh, it even creates more doubts in that, that it's valid in online mode. But if online assessment 
is still seen with doubt. It means that a degree acquired after online program will also be seen as something less important and less valuable than a degree obtained physically. I can give you one example. My older daughter was studying in Cambridge by that time, but they have dismissed the grades. She was a grader and she was sorry for that because she couldn't get her more A's. So they've understood this uh, difficulty. It's still Cambridge and it's still good education. So somehow it's achieved through other interaction, a part of formal classroom maybe. In online, there were much more interaction after the classroom between the teachers. Like, again, I mentioned this messenger and other groups. So it was more online interaction and more interaction in general between educators and students than in normal mode when they see them just in face-to-face mode, probably for several hours a day. Babe, do you think that lack of trust in online assessment will also generate lack of trust in qualifications? I don't think it's really about online or offline. I think it's about the quality of the experience and how much you are able to translate into online, the quality of a face-to-face experience without losing what is fundamental, which is the the face-to-face part of it. So I think uh, this is really where the system is changing. But I think it's uh, the issue of trust itself is uh, connected really to the perception of the educational experience and of what it can bring, whether it is online or offline. I think uh, it's no more the dichotomy between studying online or studying offline. I would agree, and especially in IT specializations, it's quite long. It was there. And it's as we are going through this fourth digital revolution, so-called. So this means that this world is coming upon us uh, more and more. And the pandemic was probably just a pretest for it, in a sense. I think uh, the pandemic increased, if possible, even more the attention to formal education. Of course, we are talking about degrees and diplomas here, and this is uh, totally legitimate. But actually, if I think of the number of online courses available for free and the growth of these courses, think of massive open online courses of very good quality. If we move on the field of informal learning, the picture becomes much more interesting because there you have ideally an army of learners or of potential learners, of excluded learners who have the possibility now to learn not only what they are studying. If you if you include this informal learning dimension and you try to make it formal a bit, but without cannibalizing it, for example, with some micro-credentials connected to some MOOCs, why not? is happening already, even in France, for example, with uh, FUN, the the French platform, they do provide accepted credentials for these kind of courses. There, the panorama opens up quite a lot. And there, the big challenge for formal education is actually to keep uh, the pace of these developments, I would say. Because in a way, education has lost its monopoly over the education process. Yes, I would say public authorities, uh, they have not lost the monopoly. Monopoly is uh, still there, and you can, can call it monopoly, but it's uh, no more a monopoly where you are alone. It's a monopoly where you see, I mean, you still have the right uh, to decide who can provide education and who can accredit uh, courses. But at the same time, your workers are actually developing their own skills in the evening or in, or in the weekend by learning uh, through different means, and in some sectors, they don't even care about the qualification. Imagine you have a course in a new technology, in a new software, and you have it from a public institute being delivered to you online, or from a Microsoft, or from Linux, or from what would you select? 
if the course, and I know it, the person who is teaching this from a public university is giving you this course, but then the assessment, going back to my example of before, is done through an open source community. It means that you can show to the community what you can do and you automatically have a job afterward. I wouldn't be so sure that the majority of the people would clearly go for Microsoft. Do you think more and more programs worldwide will be taught online? It will be kind of inertia that will bring education more and more toward education online. I think uh, there is a choice that should be focused on the quality. If the quality is better physically in the physical setting, then yeah, better it's still experience the physical atmosphere of the classroom and everything. But I think the hybrid will also be have some gradations what what percentage of online and so on. And the preference is this particular setting. Fabio, cost of online teaching, it was huge during the pandemic. The investment in terms of purchase of devices, internet access, time needed to switch online. Do you think there is an idea whether it's worth it or not? Well, during the pandemic, in the emergency, let's say, nobody asked the question if it was worth as an investment. It was an emergency measure. But now, if you ask me if in the long run or in the medium term, this is, will pay off. To me, the most important thing where we are starting to invest now, we did not invest a lot into the pandemic because, of course, of the emergency panorama, is to train teachers to become designers of new learning experiences, whether hybrid, online, face-to-face. And this means not only being able to use the last tool, not only know what to do with the last tool, this means dare to experiment with what technology can really offer for real, meaning opening up the walls of the classroom, what I was saying before, letting others evaluate your students, Letting students co-create not only the content of the resources, but the curriculum. The educator should not only be able to teach online, but to design online experiences. If you consider public schooling systems, you don't have typically the online learning designer. Educators are on their own. They should do this as collaboratively as possible at the county level and also at the international level. So I think amid a lot of misunderstanding, investments were justified to me. And actually, it seems also that uh, this is paying back eh? because uh, if you look at the connectivity of schools, uh, this uh, in many European countries and around has increased and this had to happen at a certain point. But now the real challenge is really to keep on the investment on the educator. So nowadays, I think uh, building critically digital literate staff uh, is a must. I mean, it's not something that uh, you can decide, okay, for this policy cycle, we don't do. uh, It must be there. And again, it is costly, but it's probably the best investment I think a system can do. I would like to thank both of our speakers for this conversation. It was super interesting. Thanks a million to Merab Labaza from Georgia. Thanks a lot, Merab. Thank you for inviting. It was a really interesting discussion. And thanks a million to Fabio Nashembeni from the European Training Foundation. It was a real honor, Fabio. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much. Follow Skills Factory on all the platforms. Thanks and stay tuned because there is much more to come. Goodbye.